Welcome to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives Podcast, where our goal is to engage and inform our audience, from investors to asset managers and portfolio managers, to sustainability leaders and those involved in ESG and sustainable finance. I'm Kisa Shreem. Today, we're going to talk about an industry that is being impacted in unprecedented ways by climate change and is very top of mind for 2021, and that is the real estate sector. To tap into these key ESG trends in this sector, as well as topics around resilience building, we have Michelle Legoff, Senior Analyst ESG at PGIM Real Estate. Michelle, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Michelle, are you seeing an increased appetite for ESG investing in the real estate industry, and why do you think that is? Oh, absolutely. Over the past few years, real estate's increasing role in advancing sustainability throughout the market, particularly in uh, public and private equity, where corporate and public pension funds, asset managers, endowments, foundations, et cetera, um, are very interested in their assets and how those can become more productive, more agile, and less damaging to the environment while at the same time providing greater value. So there's increased appetite in ESG. And for ESG-focused investors, they evaluate the benefits of ESG data disclosures, which active managers are fully engaged on at this time. Great. So talking about the real estate sector specifically, what are the baseline expectations around energy efficiency, green certification, and the like in real estate? So investors at this point expect baseline energy efficiency in their real estate throughout the asset from the ground up. So we're deploying technology to protect the assets as well as to uncover opportunities for improvement in performance, building performance. Um, There's now a baseline expectation for benchmarking of energy throughout the building. Uh, We know how to, to do it now in a way that's in real time and to roll that up by investment funds so that all of the investments regardless of property type are it, that are in specific investment funds can be green rated accordingly. So this is very valuable data for investors to know in terms of capital placement, as well as how their investments are performing year over year. Great, and really sticking with that theme, one thing, Michelle, that we seem to be connecting a lot is health equity and social equity, especially as it relates to key pandemic discussions. I'm wondering if there is a connection between the real estate sector and health equity, specifically social equity, and I suspect that that would fall to affordable housing and the like. What are you hearing in that space? So in that space, we've been using uh, green building certifications and reporting structures that have health elements. Uh, We've been using uh, GRESB and the United Nations SDGs for both benchmarking and sending signals to the market in terms of health. About 70% of green certifications have to do with underlying health measurements and metrics. In terms of social equity, fortunately, the industry is starting to 
take seriously affordable housing in terms of impact investing for the first time about two, two to three years ago. So this is a great development in terms of affordable housing. And we're finally able to combine impact, which is social equity in housing as well, which is bringing affordable housing, not necessarily market rent, but sometimes it could also be subsidized rent as well and implementing social equity in development projects, for example. So this is a wonderful and uh, recent development for social equity. So could you give us some real life examples around that, around how the affordable housing is being connected to impact investing? Are you seeing that in a particular region or a particular city? And can you talk us through what that looks like? Sure. So after I had established the sustainability platform for PGM real estate, an example would be a spinoff of an, an impact value fund, um, which took a former military base in the outskirts of Washington, D.C., and it was redeveloped and repositioned into a mixed-use development using transformative development techniques, uh, green certifications, et cetera. And one component of that was affordable housing. And that was uh, that resulted in capital placement from investors who are interested in impact funds. And how did the investment, um, how, what did it yield in terms of shorter term, longer term? Has that been a long-term project? Has it recently happened? So what are the investors beginning to see? It's a, it's a longer term investment. Um, it was, um, it was seed funded by through philanthropy through the broader firm um, to to get it underway. And the second development only started about a year ago. So stay tuned on that. All right, great. And we want to dive into as well some of the repricing discussions that we're hearing as it relates to disruptions caused by the pandemic and elevated valuation pressures, how is climate risk integrated into decisions around how to stabilize and mitigate risk in the real estate sector? So it's important to remember that before the climate discussion was mainstreamed, it was the underwriters of the properties insurance that really underwrote the climate risk or any type of risk to the property, including weather-related disasters, okay? It's taken a while for climate risk to become mainstreamed, if you will, um, so that generally speaking, between flood maps, we, we have all the underlying data, but to have the industry itself understand that there are key measures that they can take to mitigate risk in addition to the underwriting on specific investments. That has taken a number of years to transition the entire industry over to that discussion. Um, capital, capital projects on properties can enhance climate resiliency for high-risk properties and make the lease payments more durable, for example. Um, and we can leverage climate analytics that we have on properties to capture opportunities. And those that would be where the broader market sees more risk. And that could be either by city or by property type, for example. 
So if we look at the overall focus of what you just talked about, the underwriting as well as the climate-related risk and the analytics around that, do you find that some regions are a bit more advanced than other regions in terms of really having the capabilities to be able to do the mapping and to have more broader um, more broader policies in terms of underwriting, or do you see all regions and countries being pretty much at the same level? Who's ahead of the game there? Well, in US, we, 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 we have the, not only the analytics on individual investments, but we overlaid those by benchmarking and legislation going across US. So we can see through that mapping where those engagements are higher versus lower, which is a great thing. It's taken us a couple of years to get there because remember we had to build that infrastructure through all those analytics. So that's a good thing. Um, about a third of our business comes from, from California. We also do overlays on water resiliency and um, conservation and mapping in terms of analytics where there's drought risk, where there's flood risk, and, and so on. So we're watching and monitoring these off the back end on a daily basis as a fiduciary for investors. Great. And getting into the that piece, you talked about the drought and the flood risk. I'm looking at some of these considerations, and I look at them as natural resources, perhaps, that the real estate sector relies on. So what are some key considerations investors need to know about when it comes to those resources that the real estate real estate sector really needs. We talked about water as a resource. Are there other natural resources that should be top of mind when we're thinking about how the real estate sector really needs to function and what resources it uses to function? Most of our focus is on water as a resource that should be conserved and leveraged if possible. We are focused on um, water, not only water loss to mitigate any water loss from leaks within the structure, but overall water use through occupant education. We try to educate the tenants and to improve water efficiency in the fixtures and the cooling towers, HVAC equipment, landscaping, irrigation, and um, reusing on-site water. Um, we try to use plantings, for example, that are um, native to the, to the area to try to conserve water as well. But we also keep an eye on where where risks are for sea level rise and, and, and things of that nature. Um, we try to implement renewable energies on rooftops through solar and, and EV car chargers. There's other strategies that, that we can use to, um, to reduce the footprint on the building. Um, but in terms of water, we, we understand that water is a limited resource. So we do try to educate the building occupants about water conservation as well. We also benchmark for water the same way that we do for energy. So it's energy, water, waste, and as well as refrigerant loss, so that we know what the footprint of the property is year over year over year and how we're trending. Great. And I guess a conversation around um, water and really the efficiencies that you talk about probably wouldn't be complete without talking about some of the innovations that you've seen. And I know waste reduction is one innovation in addition to some of the things you talked about with water. What other innovations are you seeing coming down the pipeline in terms of how you all are preserving resources in the sector? One of the easiest 
challenges is waste reduction actually and diverting waste from the landfill. So we have been for many years working on recycling programs, whether those are commingled or separated at the building and to try to reduce not only the waste stream from an up and running property, but as well as construction waste from a development project. So those are easy wins for us. And those are also benchmarked and audited for waste and how we can improve year over year. And the investors can know that it's, it's an easy ask for them to ask for energy, water, and waste. It's best practices in the industry. And we know how to do it. If your manager's not doing it, they should be doing it. So that's, that's an easy win there. Um, in terms of what's up and coming, I would say for obvious reasons, indoor air quality is um, the buzz right now and how to mitigate any issues related to what we call IAQ. And typically best practices in the industry is indoor air quality testing once a year. So that's obviously been greatly altered by the pandemic, and it's something that the industry is greatly honed in on currently. Such valuable information, Michelle. Thank you so much for that. So we talked about public pensions, endowments, foundations, all these are interested in how their assets can become more productive and less damaging to the environment. And the real estate sector is one way to do that. And in terms of what investors are looking for, they expect baseline energy efficiency and opportunities for uncovering opportunities for building performance. And one really great piece of information, all property types can be green rated. And those ratings present valuable data for investors for capital placement. Also, we know that green buildings, not necessarily a wave of the future because they've been around for a while, but certifications there have strong health elements, which can really talk and play into the health equity and social equity discussions that are that are being had. UN SDGs are being used for benchmarking as well as sending signals to the market. Also, Michelle, you discussed the analytics that you bring to bear on drought risk and flood risk monitoring and the implications that has for underwriting in terms of the insurance world. In terms of the strong ESG aspect of real estate, Water as a resource to be conserved and leveraged, that's something that is a huge piece. Also, mitigating water loss, occupant education about mitigating loss, improving water efficiency, as well as indoor air quality, a huge focus point around ESG real estate investing. And overall, reducing footprint on buildings, that's the key goal. Michelle, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. You can even check us out on YouTube now. Thank you for joining. See you next time.